that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiance, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. What a powerful name it is, Amen. the name of Jesus. Sometimes what we see, we can't see what's really going on. Sometimes we see brokenness, disaster, failure, but there's more than what I can see going on in the foreground. A silly illustration to prove this point. My brother on the drums, Tony, is a happy guy. He smiles a lot. He's a big old teddy bear. Gives the best hugs maybe of anybody in the church. No lie. Years ago, my brother, we grew up in Flint. We grew up fighting. And my brother uh, fought MMA fighting. He grew up, he, he decided he, he missed fighting the bars and the Lord changed his life. So you can't bar fight when you're a Christian. Uh, <laughs> we shouldn't anyway. Um, he's, he missed fighting. He's like, I'll fight. MMA. So he puts on the stuff, and I remember his first match comes up, and I go to see him, and it's his first match. He's been training. He's been getting ready to fight. His MMA fighting name was The Executioner. <laughs> it's a good name. It's a good name. Now, a bunch of church folk came to see him, and all they knew, all they knew was the teddy bear. All they knew was the God-loving smiling, encouraging, give you a hug, tone man. When he got in that ring and they closed the gate, the octagon, people in the church said there was a different guy in there because the smile was gone. All you saw was the Flint native. Like there was a, there was a monster in that ring and his name was Antonio Marino. So everyone knew the sweet, soft, gentle giant. And then they see a fighter they didn't know existed. And that dude, I feel bad. My brother knocked that fool out in like 38 seconds. <laughs> like, it was like, bing, bonk, ba-boom. And it was like, woo-woo. Uh, it was awesome. Sometimes what you see is not really all there is. We say, what a powerful name it is. And in the, the Gospel of John, John the Apostle, John the best friend of Jesus, when he tells the story of Christ, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when John talks about Jesus, he's like, man, Jesus, he was alive 
at create. He's alive from eternity past. He was there at creation. Jesus is high and lifted up. And John tells the story in John's version, Jesus is the man. What a powerful name it is. But when Luke tells the story, it's not in the heavens. It's here on the earth. You understand, the story of Jesus does have these two parts. There is this heavenly truth of who Christ is. But we also have the earthly story, the, the earthly details of a baby born in a town called Bethlehem. So we go to Luke 2, and we read Luke the historian's account of the birth of Jesus. And it's funny because Luke's account of the, the birth of Jesus, it, it's very small. It's very humble. It's downright impoverished. It begins this way. Now it happened that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus for a census to be taken of all the inhabited earth. First thing to know about Jesus is this. Jesus was born under Caesar. Jesus is born under the authority of Caesar Augustus. Now, you understand something. An angel told Mary, Mary, you'll be found with child. The child will be the son of the Most High God. Your child will sit on the throne of his father David and he will rule a forever kingdom. One problem with that. There's already someone sitting on the throne of the world. And his name is Caesar Augustus. You understand? So Rome. Rome used to be a democracy. I mean, literally, the American democracy is based on Roman government. That's why the White House has those big old fat white columns. You ever see? Even Lansing has big old fat. Well, they're not as fat, but they're... Big white columns. We copy that Roman Greco architecture because we base our democracy on the Roman uh, democracy. But democracy is hard. Having senators, we know this, right? Democracy is hard. It's messy. It's ugly. It's slow. And one day, the Romans decide, you know what's better than democracy? This Julius Caesar guy can just rule us by himself, and he becomes the first emperor of Rome. And when, Caesar, when Julius Caesar dies, his adopted son, Augustus, becomes emperor. That's who's ruling at this moment. Caesar Augustus, the emperor of the world. Christ is born to a conquered people. When he's born, the Jews are not free. In every Jewish city, in every major Jewish city, there's a Roman garrison. There are Roman soldiers there. They are an occupied people. It's hard for many to understand what this is like to live, and you have some freedoms. At the end of the day, someone else has the authority of if you live or die. Now imagine if you are born into a world where you've been enslaved for generations. What would be your great desire? What would be your great hope, right? If you were born enslaved, what would be the thing you wanted from God the most? Freedom, right? Freedom. And so the Jewish people, 
as they read those old prophecies of God. They didn't want a spiritual leader. They didn't want truth or light or love. They wanted a military leader to come and smoke the Romans. They wanted, they wanted Saul to come back. They wanted a king, great and mighty, who could stand against the Roman hordes and bring Israel back to greatness. Christ is born to a world. This powder keg. He's born under Caesar Augustus. Then we're told, everyone's going registered for the census, each to his own city. Verse 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was with child. Now it happened that while they were there, the days were fulfilled for her to give birth. So Joseph and Mary are married, and she's pregnant. Now those of you who have had babies, you know how this goes. Um... When you're pregnant, you have a birth plan. You have a, a strategy, okay? And the birth plan, everyone's different, okay? Some people want medicine, right? They put the thing in your back so you don't feel pain. Um, what? I don't know what it's called. Epidural. Epidural. See, ladies all know. I know what it's called. It's awesome. Um, in, my, in my family, um, my grandma, um, old school Mexican lady, used to talk so much trash. I love her so much. But she would always say things in front of my wife, like, these white women are so weak. They don't know what it was like back in the day with, before epidurals. We had our babies naturally. So my wife was like, I'm going to show your own grandma. I'm going to do it with no medicine. It was terrible. <laughs> it was, I was like, baby, take the medicine. It's so, it's just, you know, she was, oh, it was the whole thing. But people have a birth plan, right? People have a birth plan. And some people, they, some people have uh, their birth plan includes a C-section. Some people have medicine, no medicine. Some people do babies at home. At home. You heard of this? It's a big like, trend nowadays. I was at my buddy's house, and I'm like, so where's your baby born? He's like, oh, right there in that chair. I was like, oh, hey, hey. Uh, you have a birth plan, you know? Um, Mary, in that world, nowadays we have a baby Baby's born, you're probably overnight in the hospital, and then like you guys can go home. And a lot of times, because Americans, we have very small families, it might just be a lady going home with her baby, maybe a husband and wife going home. For me, it was me, my wife, and this baby. We go home. And we don't know what we're doing. We got the two of us, this baby in a car seat. You put it in the car and just drive home all scared, going 20 miles an hour. Ooh. Get home, put the baby on the, fl- on, on the floor, and you sit and look at it like... What do we do with this baby? (laughs) In this world, in the ancient Near East, it wasn't like that. In the ancient Near East, the whole family lived next door to you. All the the grandparents, the aunts and the uncles. So everyone's close. When the baby's born, you have all these people helping. And help is helpful, right? Because those first few days of having the baby is really tough. Like, my wife, I remember, she's up all night feeding the kid. And, you know, I can't. Helps. I just you know slept most of the night, uh, but it's tough. So Mary has all this family. Probably had a midwife all picked out, but then this law passes saying you have to leave your home and go up to Bethlehem to register for taxes. 
She's got to leave, she's like seven months pregnant, got to leave her family, leave her home, leave her midwife, travel like 80 miles before car. It's a long journey. And she's hoping, man, I hope we get back before this baby comes. And labor comes upon her. It's baby time. They're in Bethlehem. Now, it's very inconvenient, but the baby is born there in Bethlehem. Now, Luke makes a point to tell us the baby's born in this small town called Bethlehem. Why does Jesus tell us this detail? Why does Luke tell us the detail? I'll tell you why. This fulfills a prophecy. In the book of Micah, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we are told, we are told, to, from you, O Bethlehem, smallest of Judah, a leader will come, ancient and strong. So Micah's told, Micah the prophet says, from Bethlehem will come a leader. From Bethlehem, the smallest of villages of Judah, will come our Savior, a leader, ancient and strong. And sure enough, Christ is born in Bethlehem, just like the prophet said he would be. And this gives us an important thing to understand. Christ being born in Bethlehem once again shows us how God does things, he does things in such small ways. We all wish God would move. How do you say it? Sometimes we just want God to dunk on the bad guys, don't we? I just want God to show up and dominate evil. Smoke the bad guys. Smoke injustice. Show everybody your strength. Let's, let's, let's burn this joint down. But the Lord moves in these small ways. He chooses this small, out-of-the-beaten-path place for his son to be born. Christ is born in, what does the verse say? It says, O Bethlehem, small among Judah, Christ chooses the weak things of the world to confound the strong. He intentionally chooses. God is so crazy. Not crazy is the wrong word. But God is not like us. Okay, if um, back in the day you played kickball, right? School, play kickball? Yeah. Everyone line up on the, the wall. You pick. Yeah. Who do you pick first? The strongest, the fastest, the best kicker. God, when he picks his 12 disciples, he picks a bunch of bums. Dude, it's weird. He picks a, a, a terrorist against Rome. He picks a traitor to the cause. He picks a guy who's going to betray him. He picks, he picks fishermen who are not there. These are high school dropouts. He picks people that we wouldn't even think about putting on our kickball team. Jesus chooses the small things of the world. Do you know why? The reason Christ, the reason God chooses the small things, the weak things, the foolish things, it's so he gets all the glory. You understand, when one of us, with our limited talents, with our, sometimes our impure motivations, when we offer to God these weak offerings, and he takes this weak offering and uses it to do something amazing, my first thought is not, man, I'm awesome. 
my first thought is, Lord, you are great. What a powerful name it is. When God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, all you can say is, God be praised. I, was, uh, I went to this, this uh, revival once, and it was packed full of men. Just maybe 900 men in this big, this big sanctuary. And we invite this preacher, and we want the preacher to come in, and we want this preacher to burn the house down. Preach it, man. Preach it. Let people get saved. That's what we wanted to have happen. And the preacher was terrible. The preacher was terrible. The guy started preaching, and we're all sitting there like, we just paid this fool to come, and he's a bad preacher. And we're all scared, like, we're all getting fired, because all of us young pastors had pushed for this guy to come. And he is stinking it up. So we're sitting there. I'm, I'm looking down like, we're all getting fired. We stink and waste all this money. Everyone's here probably bored out of their minds. At the end of the service, this bad preacher takes a pen. He even ruins the illustration of the pen. Like the, the last illustration, he goes, pens have a purpose. He's supposed to say, pens have a purpose. You have a purpose. Let God use you. That's what he, and he messes up the last illustration. He's like, pens. He just messes the whole thing up. And I'm like, this guy's the worst. Then that dude just goes, if you're here and you're running from the Lord, it's time to stop. If you're here and you need Jesus, you come up right now. And the craziest thing happened. Hundreds of people stood up and walked to the front. Hundreds. Maybe the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. Hundreds walk up. And you know what? My, afterwards, I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? That wasn't the good speaker. That wasn't music. That wasn't manipulations of emotions. That was the movement of God in that house. And God got all the praise because none of us deserved anything. We all stunk it up that night. And here's what I want to tell you. From, a, from our human perspective, Jesus being born in this small little town, he's a nobody. He's a nobody. He's a nobody being born nowhere. My daughter, when she was born in Lapeer, probably had more fanfare than Jesus. How crazy is that? Probably more social media posts. More people came to visit. You know, a bunch of, you know, Allie, you came and saw the baby when she was born. Like people came and saw, oh, the baby's my firstborn baby. Number two, no one cared. But the first one, everyone cares, you know. <laughs> and people are weird, dude. I guess you have four or five, guys. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Jesus is born out in the middle of nowhere. Born in a small little village, and from the earthly perspective, that look, it looks pretty insignificant. Just a kid being born in a dirt town that no one cares about. But the truth is much, it's, there's a truth for those who understand. We're told one more thing, verse 7. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, and she laid him in a manger. There's no place for them in the guest room. There was no place for them in the inn. So the baby's born. We're told this next little detail. So they're far from home. They're not in Nazareth. They're far away in Bethlehem. They've gone there to be taxed. 
and apparently there's so many people there, all the hotels are filled, all the hostels are filled. And they go knocking on doors, and there's no beds left. They probably have money, but there's no stinking beds. I've been there. It's a terrible place to be when you can't find a place to sleep. One time, my, my family was in Florida, and I didn't book the hotel for the last night. I didn't realize it was a holiday weekend. It was President's Day, which seems lame, but apparently if you have a day off, everyone goes to Orlando because of the mouse, um, <laughs> Mickey Mouse. Uh, but so it's literally, it's Sunday morning. We check out of our hotel. Like, I'll, I'll call a good hotel for us. Every place I called, fill up, full up. I'm, I'm on the phone calling. Like everyone, it's either filled up or it was crazy expensive. Like they're doubling their rates on me. It was rowdy, dude. It was. Cr I'm like, baby, we sleep in the laundromat tonight. You know what I'm saying? That's an old. Uh, I don't know if you ever did that, but it's not fun. Um, so they can't find a place to stay. So they literally just rent a barn from somebody. And she has a baby in this barn. When a baby's born, we still do it nowadays. We call swaddling a baby. You wrap it real tight in, 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 in uh, the blanket. And I guess a baby, it feels like being inside his mom's womb. The baby feels good being, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, we used to call it, my house called baby burritos. You know, you wrap them tight and you got the baby. So they wrap up Jesus. Now, when I went home with, my, with, with Lena and with Nesto for the first time, we had bought stuff for the nursery. We had like a, we had a bassinet, right? Someone gave us a bassinet for the baby shower. It was in the room next to the bed, and we put the baby there and we just stare at it. When um, we first had our first baby, Lena, I would sometimes in the night, I'd just sit and look at her because I was afraid. Like, I just, are you breathing? You okay? I just stare. Like, you know, you just, you don't know anything. I'm just, I'm just like, you okay? You okay? You still okay? Like, it was just crazy all night long. They don't have a basket. They don't have a crib. They don't have a nursery. They're, so, they're in a stinking barn. Listen, no privacy. She's having this baby. And having babies is loud and it's dirty. It's very insanity where they are. It's very insanitary. And the baby's born. And they wrap whatever they can find. And they, they have no cribs. They put the baby in like a, a trough. that used to be used for water for animals. Put the baby there and like we have this baby. Now, Jesus, Mary was told by the angel, she was told, Mary, your child will be great, the son of the most high God. She must think to herself, God, you told me greatness. This don't feel great. I got no bed. I got no room. I got no family. I got no crib. We're, God, you told us this kid's going to be this great kid. It doesn't feel very great right now, does it? It feels alone and small and insignificant. This is how the Lord moves, though. For a lot of us, we want to see God do something mighty. We want to see God, like I said, we want to see God dunk on bad people. But here's the reality. In this world, the way God moves is quietly and slowly. And a lot of times he's moving away from the limelight. A lot of the greatest move of God right now happening in the world, you're not going to see it on the stinking Christian TV's channel. It's not going to be in the magazines. It's not, it's not even the TV preacher you love so much. A lot of the greatest work God's doing is in small, tiny, little works all over the world 
that have no radio play, no TV play, who are being faithful to their community and to the cause of Christ. And no one cheering a trumpet for them, but God is slowly moving. There's a story for Elijah where Elijah is calling to God for help. Elijah is, he is depressed. He is, uh, Jezebel's trying to kill him. He's like, God, are you going to save me? And it says it was an earthquake. But God was not in the earthquake. There's a storm and there's lightning and thunder. But God was not in the lightning. And it says it was a small voice that spoke. And God was there in that still small, quiet moment. Like, like you, I wish God would just come and just win the day. I wish I would just kick the door down and beat all the bad guys up. But a lot of the times, the victories are small, day by day, steps of faithfulness. I know that's hard, because a lot of us, we watch so many news stories and you know what sells on the news? In case you don't know this, you know what sells? Fear sells. So I don't care if you watch Fox or CNN. The stories are always bad news. It's sticking Israel and Gaza, Ukraine and Russia. We watch this stuff and we feel like, look how bad the world is. There's no hope. And the darkness seems to pile on. Listen. The light has come into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Even in the midst of all these seeming terrifying things, know that God is on the move. I can't see it. I don't know where and how, but I listen. In the same way, look at the birth of Christ, and all we see is a baby in a manger. All we see is a poor kid born to two parents in the middle of nowhere with no family around. You know what's really happening? It looks so small, but in reality, the angels of heaven celebrate. What's really happening is darkness is beginning to fall down, and the light has come into the world. What's really happening is God just put his stinking queen and king on the board. He's about to go checkmate on the world. We don't see it. All we see is a little tiny baby. Listen, in the same way, Christ came so small. Christ came so vulnerable, so weak. That baby looked so vulnerable, but that was the Son of God in the flesh. There was this, um, back in like the year 1000, there was this book someone wrote. And in the book they wrote in the year 1000, they reimagined Jesus as a wealthy landowner and his 12 apostles as 12 uh, courageous knights. And what happened is the person who wrote that book tried to take Jesus and make Jesus speak to the modern world. They reinterpreted Christ according to their own values. Every culture does this. We try to make Jesus look like us. But here's the thing. We've got to be careful not to dump all our values on Jesus. I see sometimes there are friends of mine who are very conservative Republicans, and they will say, Jesus must be a conservative Republican. 
Or I have friends who are very liberal Democrats, and they'll say, well, Jesus is really a liberal Democrat. But here's the thing. Jesus is not on our team. The question we must ask is, am I willing to be on his team? I can't just make him join my cause. The question is, am I going to follow his thing or not? The Christ is born, small, humbly, simply. And from the earthly perspective, it's a dot, it's a blip, it's nothing. But those of us who celebrate Christmas, we know it's everything. It's everything. Christ has come. Let me read Isaiah 53 for us as we close. Isaiah 53 says this. This baby born in the middle of nowhere, it says this. I'll start in verse uh, 3. No, I'll start in verse 2. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. Meaning, he's not attractive. He's not the man. He doesn't have that stinking, you know, the politician smile. He's not that guy. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. People thought he was a chump. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our peace fell upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But Yahweh has called the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Listen, Jesus comes into the world and he is not attractive by the world standards. He's not. His hair ain't right. His teeth ain't straight. The beard doesn't have a sweet fade on it. He's not that guy. Why did people come to him? If he didn't look the part, why did people come to him? Because he had the truth and he loved them. He had the truth. When he asked the disciples, you're going to leave me now? Peter goes, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else am I going to go? You have the one thing no one else can find. You know how to get to God. I'm with you, Jesus. And many of the crowds, they came because Jesus loved them in a way they had never been loved before. Jesus did not love them to get something from them. Jesus did not love them for himself. He loved them because he saw them as they truly were. He saw their, he saw them. Now, you, you love me. I'm going to follow you to the end of this whole thing. So, through the earthly eyes, the birth of Christ looks like nothingness. But through the eyes of faith, we know that when Christ born into the world, nothing's been the same ever since. The Christ has come. Praise be to God. What a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Let us pray. 
Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word that is true. For sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be born down here. Through this child, Lord, our hope, our salvation, life abundant. Thank you for coming and dying that we may live. So, Lord, help us to follow. Help us to praise your name. In Christ, we ask all these things. Amen.